At this time, when so much of what was considered normal has been lost to reduce the impact of COVID-19, it is time to start thinking about how to reclaim some of what was hastily pushed aside. It seems undoubted that whatever happens in the next few months, GM, Walmart, and other globalist multinational corporations will survive. Global conglomerates may even come back stronger than they were before the pandemic. The realization that the richest and the most powerful concerns may benefit from the shutdown of Main Street ought to concern us. Giant corporations are not aligned with the needs of local property owners. There is a line between the world of stockholders and property owners. There is a difference between the simple possession of property and the ownership of property. One possesses property as a legal right. The other owns property as a member of a community. The difference between corporatism and Main Street is as distinct as the difference between speculation and production, and between financial markets and the market most of us live and work in. We own what we create. What we have created is our property by inalienable right. It is possible to possess what was created by others, but we never really own it. Possessive ownership, or legal ownership, is a right granted by the state and is based on law. Corporations exist as a legal right and own property as possessions. They create nothing because they are not human. Recovery requires we understand and respect the rights of property owners. Property owners are real people, not legal fictions. Human rights are the rights of property owners. Legal rights are the rights of speculators and legal fictions. Corporations are legal fictions that acquire property by right of possession. We must, as normal human beings, take this opportunity as we restart the economy to return property rights back to us humans. Globalism is the modern equivalent of the might-makes-right ideology used by all previous tyrants to gain power over property. When we talk about recovery post-19, we are talking about the recovery of Main Street or of the global supply chain. Are we talking about ownership rights being respected or the recovery of lost profits and corporate value by the most economically powerful? What can we do to ensure our towns and villages are made better places for property owners? rather than for property speculators. The pandemic was largely caused by oligarchs seeking access to a lower-paid labor force overseas. Globalized supply lines spread the virus and hindered a local response after the virus had gone global. What does a return to normal look like after the economy has been closed for three months or six months or even a year? A business whose supplier has gone broke will look for other suppliers. This may lead him to look overseas. The local supply chain does not just reappear when the linkages have been broken. Debt does not evaporate because the economy has been restarted. Will increased poverty 
and uncertainty not impact investors? With a local economy gutted in debt at astronomical levels, what incentive will investors have to risk their capital? Which option will be more attractive to those with funds to invest? Main Street or the stock market? The sight of closed shops shakes investor confidence. The new normal may mean more people looking to larger metropolitan areas for work. As jobs are harder to find and people move to the city, house values in outlying areas may decline. If blight sets in, villages and small towns could become depopulated by all but retirees. A return to normal cannot mean a return to what existed prior to COVID-19. It might be wiser to look at other options, because what n was normal is gone. Indeed, it is time to reconsider what normal even means. Were there not things that were thought normal, that ought never to have been normalized? Towns in which people do not know their neighbor is not normal. Unemployment and debt are not normal. Poverty and war are not normal, regardless of their frequency. Things that destroy local communities ought never to have been normal. The renormalization of abnormality may lead to generations of people who cannot own their own home, who have no job security, and who labor under a 75% taxation rate. Normal may be a company store in which credit is available to company workers only. Normal could be workers who live in company towns, much as serfs did in the Middle Ages. Normality may mean a job that, if lost, also causes one to be evicted from your company-owned home and denied access to the company-owned store. No government proclamation is going to erase COVID-19 and its impacts from history. The benefits you receive today are not manna from heaven. Today's government's benefits are the debt and tax hike you will receive tomorrow. The government is writing checks on your family's future. The willingness of governments to provide funding for businesses and individuals may end up making things worse. It might be better to, for businesses and individuals to go broke now than after the epidemic. Better to be insolvent and debt-free now than go broke later when recovery is taking place. Debt created cannot be destroyed. Debt does not vanish. It migrates to a new host. Either the business and individuals who borrowed the money pay it back or taxpayers and future borrowers do. Debt means economic contraction, higher prices, lower wages, and a slower recovery. At the very least, it means a transfer of wealth to the financial sector. All debt, one way or another, is paid for by someone. Debt deflates the economy. Creating goods and services causes expansion. The more debt, the greater the deflator, the rate at which the economy contracts. The question experts are asking is how to restart the economy. The question they ought to ask is who holds ultimate responsibility for economic progress? Are banks, individual investors, or the public sector responsible for creating jobs? 
The question can only be answered by another question. The question to ask is who is ultimately responsible for the repayment of debt? This is a far more important question than these experts realize. Creating a debt is not the same thing as being the underwriter of a debt. An insurer may collect premiums and pay out benefits, but the obligation to fulfill the contract rests with the underwriter. The liquidity to pay claims is provided by the underwriter. We know governments hand out benefit checks, but it is the taxpayer and ultimately the producer of goods and services who underwrites these government programs. Banks make loans, but if the borrower defaults, who picks up the tab? Bank losses might be covered by a government bailout or recorded as a capital loss taken against his tax liability. Or the loss may be covered by higher costs shifted onto new borrowers. Regardless, it is the producers of real wealth, the productive sector, that ultimately pays the bill. When a company goes broke, it leaves behind people without jobs and unpaid bills. It also reduces the tax base of local and federal governments. The unpaid loans, the unpaid suppliers, the lost tax revenues, and so on, all filter down to the taxpayer one way or another. All of these costs eventually end up as a debt the productive sector pays. All debt ultimately requires a claim to be made good against real goods and services. Property owners possess real, not financial, wealth. A property owner is not the same thing as a speculator. Speculators function in the financial markets. Speculators may be insolvent or debtors or bankers. Bankers create debt and speculators use debt to attempt to manipulate debt into property ownership through devious and borderline methods. The law often shifts the cost of these methods and the debt onto the producers of real wealth, the property owner. Money does not pay off debt. Money only serves to shift debt from one speculator to another. The only way debt is liquidated is through the transfer of goods and services from a possessor of property to a speculator. When the possessor speculates and fails, real property changes hands, and only then is the debt liquidated. When money pays off a debt, the debt must be shifted to another speculator until the lender acquires real property to finally erase the debt. The underwriter of all debt is the property speculator, for it is the real property that creates and erases debt. Property speculators occupy a political niche. Property is owned by speculators within the limits of a political jurisdiction. Legal property can and is used for speculation. Exchanges are the wealth generating units of society. Exchanges are units of specialization. Exchanges form communities and create markets. Communities are infected with various parasitic elements that contract the economy and erode ownership. Speculators are parasites that produce debt and economic stress. 
debt shifts wealth away from exchanges roughly comparable to Main Street and into the hands of property possessors, that is, those who own property by means of speculation and debt. Property underwrites all debt because debt can only be liquidated by transfers of property. It is only speculators who create the liabilities that make these threats of loss possible. Exchanges, producers of real goods and services, produce goods and services through creation of specialization. And it is goods and services that pays off all debt ultimately. Until the debt is paid off, debt is transferred from speculator to speculator. Debt payment shifts claims against property from one property speculator to another until a lender finally seizes real property. Debt is a claim on real assets or real property. It is property owners that ought to take the leadership role in reconstruction because it is property owners that form exchanges and it is exchanges that create the specialization that produces all real wealth. Progress is created by the production of goods and services. Production of goods and services is increased in enhanced specialization. Specialization produces new wealth because wealth is composed of goods and services and specialization creates new goods and services. All specialization happens in and through exchanges. Exchanges are units of specialization composed of specialists who exchange goods and services produce greater wealth. It only takes three or more persons to form an exchange. Each person must specialize in some way. These exchanges can be compared to Main Street to local businesses, but exchanges is a more precise term relating to people who actually make real goods and services without speculative ownership. Markets exist because of specialization that is specialized exchanges. The crucial factor that gives rise to a market is two persons with complementary specialities. An exchange is created by a small group of people who have complementary skills. By complementary, we mean their skills supplement each other. Together, the different skills increase the productive capacity of the whole. A furniture maker and an auto mechanic will do business, but they do not have complementary skills. A butcher and a farmer have complementary skills because together they allow the other to specialize. A group of housewives who combine housekeeping chores with transportation and shopping have complementary skills. The highest degree of complementary activity is seen on a production line. Complementary skills reduce the inputs required per to produce a given level of output. When skills and interests complement one another, the highest potentiality for specialization exists. A clothes exchange is formed by people who specialize in the marketing of clothes. Exchanges registers as a not-for-profit charitable institution with the mission to reduce the cost of apparel. 
Profits go towards a charitable purpose of the exchange. The closed exchange is owned by its investors. Each investor owns one common share. Each ownership share entitles the member to vote at board meetings and to an equal share of profits. The exchange issues charitable receipts for donations received. Exchanges are capitalized by donations from members. For example, Jill provides 10 dresses with a value of $500. Jill is given a charitable receipt for $500. This charitable receipt can be used to lower the tax liabilities of Jill or to purchase preferred shares. Preferred shares are claims on the equity of the clothing exchange. Jill provided 10 dresses that become assets of the clothing exchange. The dresses have a value of $500, so the clothing exchange has acquired $500 worth of equity. This equity allows the clothes exchange to issue a charitable receipt equal to the value of the donation received. The charitable receipt may be exchanged for 500 preferred shares, each preferred shares being valued at $1. Preferred shares represent the equity of the exchange when not taken as a tax rebate. Preferred shares in the exchange are issued in multiples of each other, the same way conventional currency is. Preferred shares are fully backed by the equity of the exchange. Capitalizing a clothing exchange may be done through the sale of bonds and through the donation of goods and services in exchange for preferred shares and charitable receipts. To start an exchange requires a place be found and financed, the business staffed, preferred shares be printed and issued to members, a board of directors voted in, a chair appointed, a CEO is appointed, and he or she has appointed or hired staff, stock has been acquired from members displayed and price according to what the mission of the exchange is. Preferred shares are issued as a local currency called prefers. Members may purchase bonds and or preferred shares using domestic currency units. Jill, with 500 preferred shares, can purchase 500 preferred shares worth of clothes or bonds, or some combination of both. Members are paid a living wage for the work they do. Pay may be set at 15 preferred shares an hour, or at a rate the exchange determines. As much as possible, all expenses are paid for in preferred. When bonds are sold and when profits made, the money goes into a trust account. The profits from sales are used to expand the exchange. Trust account money is used to pay down member debt. The equity of the debt becomes an asset of the exchange. The member has his or her debit account increased by the amount of the debt. Debits are erased as credits are increased. As membership increases and new specialities are added, additional exchanges of different types form. New exchanges are formed by new members with new specialities. A community that wants a school builds a school by transferring resources to the builder. The supplier receives prefers as a credit to their account. The buyer is debited prefers. Governments cannot build but the community cannot provide the resources for. All the money in the world cannot get a bridge built if the skills and other resources are missing. If the skills and resources are present, a bridge can be built in the way barns were raised, that is by the transfer of labor 
and other resources to the project. Every good and service that is needed and provided through the public sector can be provided by exchanges. There is no need for taxes because there is no need for a public sector. Obviously, this is a very short and truncated overview of how society could create economic development without using or needing debt. It's a way to build up Main Street using Main Street. The purpose of this discussion is to point out an alternative model exists. We do not need to use the conventional model of debt and the public sector. Main Street can rebuild Main Street.